0: Kate here, creatrix of Womancraft, A Witch's Awakening. Do you find yourself drawn to ritual, divination, and dream work? Are you being called to heal deeply? Do you want to learn the real history of women? Check out my course, Womancraft, A Witch's Awakening, which can be found at freebirthsocietycourses.com slash womancraft and awaken your inner wise woman today.
1: her first birth, Esme was taken into the underworld after a painful midwife sabotage birth and a long struggle with nursing. After she consciously conceived her second baby, Esme was able to redeem and heal her story by closing the most holy cycle with the birth of her daughter, Esme talks about trusting spirit to hold her, ancestral healing, and the importance of a connected group of women to lean on when the struggles of life arise. Esme! Emily! I'm excited to be doing this. And yeah, I was reflecting this morning that you've really been with me and with Free Birth Society. Like your OG, right? Like from, <laughs> I'm from Facebook, Facebook OG, <laughs> Facebook group OG, <laughs> legendary. Yeah, and and it's just been so, you know, cool to have you in the community and watch you emerge as a mother and a healer and a community weaver and so much of what you have started since you've become a mother in Oregon, you know, has been so special and important and really, you know, like become a leader in this community and in your own community and same, same, um, and then to go on to have, have this recent free birth. So mm-hmm. I'm really just excited to have you here and have you share, um, your wisdom since you mm. are such a, a well of that.
2: And so happy to be here. It really feels so full circle because I think you began releasing the podcast right as I was getting into birth work before conceiving my older child. And so I remember like being in my doula training and listening to your podcast. <laughs> and so it was like very helpful because I didn't get as indoctrinated as I might have otherwise. Totally. Like, finding Indie Birth and you and all these other amazing resources that just like that resonates way more. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had had a
1: podcast like this when I was going
2: through my doula stuff. <laughs> it was probably not their prize people because of my constant questioning totally totally the nerve
1: all mm. right so yeah take us wherever you want to begin um yeah you we out in Oregon you just had your second baby so yeah tell us tell us your journey into motherhood and, and yeah
2: and... I feel like my journey into motherhood so begins early on in my life because I'm someone who's always felt connection to my spirit babies like from the time I was a child but Mm. it's just a relationship that I've always pretty easily had um, and so when I conceived my oldest the few months prior to that conception I was living in Seattle with my partner and I was doing an herbal training and really getting into birth work and all of these other things um, and I did a Reiki attunement um, and within like the meditation that was part of that I had this this vision where I was sitting in the center of a circle and everyone I'd ever known who I'd ever loved and who had loved me was like in this circle around me. And, and then this little boy like walks into the middle of the circle and comes up right in front of me. And I'd always felt connected to my daughters and like could tell there was a son in the periphery, but like kind of was very focused on on the girl babies and then this little boy like popped in and said hello mama and introduced himself and then the vision ended and I went on with my life um and unconsciously unrelated two weeks later got my IUD out (laughs) and began getting holistic pelvic care and doing a lot of womb healing um and then so that was in October and in February February or March, somewhere around there, I was actually at a birth and it was a full moon and I was expecting to bleed and didn't. And when I was at the birth and it was a full moon, I just knew that if I, if I wasn't bleeding, I was pregnant. Um, and it was a total shock because it was not a conscious conception. And my, my husband then partner and I had talked a lot about having babies and knew we wanted them, but it wasn't the season we thought we would have them. in. so those, first few weeks and really months was just a lot of shock and processing and um, grief over not having consciously like laid my maiden self to rest to just have that transition be so abrupt. Um, And there was a brief pause where we contemplated not continuing the pregnancy. but every time I'd, I'd sit with this little babe he would just say, like, I need to be here on earth right now. Like, this is my time, mama. Like, just like, <laughs> trust me. Um, and, and so I did. And so we, in the middle of that, I didn't have any prenatal care pretty much for the first half of that pregnancy because I knew we'd be moving to Oregon from Seattle to be near my folks. And so I think I was probably 16 or 18 weeks before I saw a midwife for the first time and we interviewed a bunch and I just what I remember from those interviews is feeling like I was preparing to go into battle because I knew that I wanted as much of an undisturbed birth as would be possible in that setting but also really thought that there would be if I just found the right midwife she could really be hands-off enough um and yeah, I start to remember going into these interviews and just like asking them all these questions about what they have to do or not have to do and, and just none of it feeling good and we eventually did sign on with like one of the bigger. birth centers here and did maybe two sessions with them, and then I realized like this is not at all the right fit, this is not what I want I don't want a big practice um, and got connected with a midwife who really practices in a wise woman way in so many ways. Like all of our prenatals were in our house and two hours long and she was a master herbalist. And and I felt like she was very supportive of every choice I made, like as far as her licensing could allow her to be, of course, but that she really deeply cared about us. And I felt really witnessed by her and the part of me that really wanted mother witnessing, like from this elder grandmother figure felt really nourished by our time. And that wasn't something that I was getting in my relationship with my mother. And I think because I had so much grief about that and just felt so vulnerable being a younger mother and having all these other layers. um, Yeah, it was an easy, easy match for that dynamic to happen.
1: Totally. Mm. And, and that could so easily be, it could have been mm-hmm. such a perfect, sweet, loving, healing totally. thing to have. Like, it's so, it's so fucked up to know that that happens and then totally.
2: sabotage happens. Like, God, what a- so much more painful. Right. What when a, you can't like fully, I can't villainize her. I can't be like, she was horrible and you know never respected me and like all these red flags along the way it was like no i actually felt really deeply seen and held and cared for and, and then you know my birth gets sabotaged um yeah. yeah so i mean physically my pregnancy was really easeful. Mm-hmm. um i felt really healthy and vibrant and just spent a lot of time moving slow and hanging out at the river and just enjoying my time um and there was a lot of, yeah, still integrating. Like I feel like I was still in shock for like this first full half of the pregnancy because I had envisioned being a mother for so long. And it was something that I like knew would be on my path to have it so suddenly placed in front of me was really intense. Um, and just, we hadn't laid the groundwork for our lives yet. So we were kind of scrambling to get finances in order and get our housing in order and just like these basic needs. Um, and so, the actual birth my um yeah those last few weeks definitely getting like hazier and hazier just kind of in this liminal foggy space that was really sweet um and his due date was the day after Thanksgiving so it was actually really nice to be with my family right before then and have yeah just distractions and I was really committed internally that, you know, just as I had done with the pregnancy where I pretty much like had, you know, declined all Dopplers, um, declined like every test. I just wanted to take those last few weeks of pregnancy and not have any pressure around time. So I was clear internally that I wasn't going to be induced ever at any point in time. And that if that came to be like that she couldn't serve me then I would just free birth. And, mm-hmm. Um, it was this interesting dynamic, the whole pregnancy of going back and forth between wanting it to just be my partner and I and, and wanting the wise woman witnessing and feeling like this was the way to get that.
1: Right. Because you weren't totally naive to no. the limitations of medical midwifery or any of that, because you are already a birth worker. You were already mm-hmm. somewhat in this community, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So how- It is interesting. Yeah, so how, like, how transparent were your conversations with her towards the end? Like, how did that all go? How could, I guess what I'm really saying is, like, how could you trust someone in the system when you know the limitations Mm. of it?
2: I think there was still this part of me that felt like there was a workaround in the system And so I guess the other layer here is I was actually signed up to begin the midwifery program a couple months after my son was born. And so so like, I, I really was (laughs) like the, the, the knowingness about undisturbed birth really resonated. And I also somehow thought that container could happen within regulated midwifery still that like, maybe it just was the right, you know, if I, I was one of the lucky ones because I, I had all this intellectual knowledge about how birth went and could make all these informed choices (laughs) it doesn't quite understand all of these other layers that I can go into more and what actually happened in the birth
1: um I mean to be fair to you you know when I asked that question like no one I think especially with their first go around could anticipate the level of betrayal chaos that scared it's not just licensed midwives that scared people bring into mm-hmm. the birth space. It, you know, it's not just them. Anyone really could
2: mm-hmm. bring
1: a pretty gnarly energy in, into the space, but I mean, you, you couldn't have known, right. Because you had set up what seems like was a very clear, deep
2: mm-hmm. connected
1: dynamic.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like, to answer your earlier question we had really clear conversations about what I wanted during birth and like do not even ask me about a cervical exam like I'm going to say no to pretty much every every doctor like I would like you in the other room being having pretty clear conversations and boundaries and um however in the state of Oregon you have to have two midwives so she had been she had a solo practice and then had one midwife that she had attended a lot of births with who wasn't unav- unavailable during the time I would be giving birth and so she brought in an assistant midwife she'd never given birth or never attended a birth with
1: oh i didn't worked at that. a high
2: vault yeah so she and oh. that woman worked at a high volume birth center and just practiced a really different type of midwifery but was also a master herbalist so that's how they connected is actually in the mid- in the herbalism world and and so I had met that midwife twice, um, and there was way less resonance, but in my perception of things, my primary midwife would be the one right. calling the shots, and that woman would just kind of like be in the background. And... She would just like hand her baby blankets. Exactly, um, which is not how it went down.
1: So, But I think this is such a good thing for women to hear, because obviously you're going to tell the whole story, but... If you, if you, you can't control what happens when people Mm -hmm. you don't know are in the space and you just don't know what's going to happen. And, and I, I totally hear you of the, like, yeah, but she's the lead and she's the one I trust. And so that seems like it should be good enough. And your story, obviously that you're about to share, like really reveals what is often more likely to occur but but Mm -hmm. it's something that like we wouldn't even think of if we didn't have the stories because it's not how it sold
2: to us Mm -mm, not at all especially in this dynamic with this midwife where like she was agreeing to all of the boundaries that I was setting and agreements that I felt like we were making agreements about what would and wouldn't be in my birth space to the point where like I don't even want to be asked these things like please do not even bring that in even a little bit. Um, and anyway, so, so the morning I, uh, I I woke up every day leading up to this, to his birth, like maybe three or four days beforehand, I would wake up every morning at 4am. It was really interesting. And then it was a Sunday, and I woke up at four a.m. and thought, "Oh, I feel a little, a little different." Um, and woke up for the day, and like had a long practice, and made my breakfast, and sat in the sun in my favorite spot, and just knew that this would be my last breakfast as a maiden. <laughs> and like took, I even took a photo of it. I have a photo um, of that breakfast. Just like had knowingness about it, and wasn't having any sensations or anything. Just like something had shifted. Um, And called a friend to come do my belly cast. (laughs) We haven't made this happen. This is the day to do it if it's going to happen. And then later that day, my husband really wanted to go to H&M, which is like hilarious to us because I don't think we had been to the mall in years before that and he really wanted to go to H&M because it was Black Friday sales and he needed a new pair of pants so I remember going to H&M and going into an altered state and being in one of those like three-walled mirrored, you know dressing room mirrors and just like tripping <laughs> a bad trip and tripping it was like we have to leave right now we need to get out of here this moment and went to my parents house for dinner and that's when I had like started losing my mucus plug and just like things started moving um so we went home to just
1: I would say of like the short list of of places not to be
2: (laughs) (laughs) Black Friday h H&M and in the mall. So and I'm already like such a sensitive, highly sensitive being that being That's in a mall hilarious. anyway requires like layers of energetic protection. And I just remember like literally seeing tracers in there and being like, we have to get out of here. So <laughs> this is not going to work. Um, <laughs> so we went home to rest and I was able to sleep through the night and then woke up at 4 a.m. Um, and had maybe like two or three like actual contractions, actual sensations that were maybe eight minutes apart. Like I was like, oh, I could time these. This is like a really big shift in how my body feels. And then sit up to go to the bathroom, and with a loud, audible pop, my waters released, like movie style, dramatic. <laughs> um, and after that, sensations were maybe every two minutes apart. Like it was so, there was no early labor that I experienced. It was just zero to 60. Um, and so I labored in the bathroom for a little while, and, and my husband put on the Hypno Babies track I was gonna attempt to listen to. And in the birth video, just like hear me shouting back at the Hypno Babies <laughs> lady, because I felt so like wild and, and ferocious. And the idea of trying to like, soothe myself and calm myself was just not on the table um so it was like a good way to direct that energy back um (laughs) and then my husband started setting up the um, birth pool and somewhere in in that realm the two midwives arrived and i just hung out in the pool for like hours and things were so intense so quickly um I was really floored by the degree of sensation, like really surprised by how painful it was. I think I had yeah an idea that it wasn't going to be like that. Somehow I was going to be have the orgasmic birth, (laughs) (laughs) and and pretty quickly. Are you women on the planet who've? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) It's it's a this baby.
1: He he was like. I'm coming in. We're going on. Uh-huh.
2: Exactly. And it's totally his personality. Like, it so matches. Yeah. hmm. just like zero to 60. Here we are full throttle. So in it, so altered, so quickly, just like traveling. And I was really grateful to have had plant medicine experience because I recognized the spaces of no ego. Like mm-hmm. I'd been to that, that realm before and I think it offered me a lot of comfort. Seriously, I cannot imagine not having any touch point with that um but I mean after a couple hours like there was total dissolution of self I just felt like completely just like the energy was moving through me and there was nothing to be done about it even though I desperately wanted to do something about it and kept trying to move away from it and there was no that was not a possibility at and all. at this
1: point the space that they're holding is pretty good
2: Yeah, at this point, like the first few hours was really sweet. Like we lit all the candles and it was early morning and they were just in the other room and my husband was with me and then in the pool with me and this broth and coconut water and sweetness. And then they're kind of, I think it, I don't remember exactly when it shifted, but I think I had this idea that because, oh, okay. I remember what occurred. I started throwing up. And my doula indoctrination was like, "Great, I'm in transition. <laughs> That's what this means." Um, that, that that was not what that meant because it's been these be so intense, so quickly for so long. That must be where I am. Um, and so when birth continued for a while after that, I started to spin out because it was just getting even more intense and even more intense. And this is when a lot of the more disruptive things began happening where like to even just be asked to use the Doppler, even if I was going to decline it was so disruptive. Like, and I don't think that's something I could have conceptualized before because before you experience it, like, oh yeah, they'll just ask me, you know, every hour, every 30 minutes and like it's whatever versus actually over and over. And that particular thing felt like this ritual of every time it would happen, I would then externalize and look to them, am I safe? And it's like over and over to do that is so, so disruptive. Um, Gross. And this is kind of when I started spinning out. Like, I was just like, I can't do this. And that became my mantra of like, I can't do this. It would felt so big and so painful. And I created this narrative where there was something wrong and they weren't telling me. Um, Yeah. Because there wasn't necessarily like words of affirmation coming back to me. And so it became like this weird loop. Wanting to
1: like constantly check on the baby. Yeah. Is enough. Like that's a, that's a fear-based, worry-based ritual that you already said you didn't want. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, on the other side, it's like, why hire a medical midwife? We know that's what they do. Totally. Still, You know, yeah. Ugh,
2: God. And I wanted it to be like completely quiet. So to even have them in the other room, I could hear them whispering. And I remember yelling at them several times. It's like, shut up! Because I just like could not handle anything except complete quiet. It would bring me out every time. And so just it kind of created this like weird vortex. And I think just everything kind of combined and the like stagnant energy of being in the pool. And then- well it's like totally Um, uncontained yes like it's like
1: it's like everything intense about your just your actual birth Mm -hmm. being uncontained with a drop of worry or negativity it just spins into that Mm -hmm. like hurricane I mean this is the whole point of why we want good wise women space holders there because it could have been I don't mean contained in a hypno baby's way, like just held in a. But there's the yeah. edges. Mm-hmm. Ugh,
2: yeah.
1: It sounds. It feels really chaotic, like energetically yeah. as you describe yeah, it.
2: Yeah, totally. And then, so then, I was really in the sleep of like, and I'm, and I must have actually been in transition at this point in time, but just stuck in the sleep of like, I can't do this. I just want to nap. Like, just feeling so overwhelmed and and taken over by the degree of sensation I was experiencing and my primary midwife was right there with me for a lot of that and then it was the other midwife who was like okay well let's just do a cervical exam and my primary midwife jumped in and actually was able to say like that she doesn't even want to be asked that we're not going to do that to which that midwife was like oh I've never been to a birth without one of those
1: but also gross, totally gross and like it's not hard to have given her a heads up before they head into a birth
2: with- Well, a- and I, she had been in the in the prenatal where I had said that because I went over <sighs> to this midwife, like, this is like, please don't ask me anything like that. And then it was that midwife who was like, okay, well, like you could transfer and just like go rest in the hospital. Like you could go get an epidural. And again, I had this narrative of, they think something's wrong. So that spun that out, but I was also able to like stay in myself enough to say, hell no, like just the idea of getting out of the tub sounded impossible. There was no way I was going to transfer. Like, what were they going to do for me? And it, that really, really rocked me. Um, oh, that's such a betrayal. Of, like there was never a part of me that believed I couldn't do it. I just needed to like get out the, I can't like that wasn't real. And I knew that wasn't real. It was just part of my process. So to have them be like this would be the compassionate thing for you to like go take a little rest yeah. it was so gross well they're just they're agents
1: of industrial birth you know and this is the great fucking lie right totally. that, that you think you know everyone thinks they're hiring these like granola mm-hmm. wearing like knitting a sweater in the corner you know grandmothers and it's a fucking yeah. lie they are agents of industrial birth
2: Yep, and, I, and, and they, they would rather you way. be there
1: they would rather you be on fucking drugs getting traumatized you know like after 12 mm-hmm. hours oh we're we're in a weird zone now I don't
2: know oh what to God. do let's just transfer you I mean it says some- well at this point it's only been like maybe six or seven hours like S- it hasn't even like since my water it's like since sensations started they've been there like four hours <sighs> and and it, so why just even do me? this work I know you know, like, God. Uh. and so then I started pushing, but it was, it was still like involuntary, like this is just happening. And it was brutal. Like it just felt brutal. It was so hard to move towards any degree of that sensation. I just wanted to pull away from it. So of course, Mm -hmm. then it takes longer. Um, And I think also just these conversations and dynamic with them really put me in flight where I just was like, he needs to come out. Like, this needs to happen now. Um, Why isn't this happening? Is there something wrong? Really spiraling, but also simultaneously traveling and and having some really incredible visions and downloads and experiences and... um, And then there was one point where maybe I'd be pushing for two hours, and they took fetal heart tones and decided something sounded weird, and so asked me to get out of the pool. So I did, and we went into the floor of the bedroom, and I was laboring on hands and knees and, like, pushing, like, truly, like, he was right there. Um, And they took heart tones one more time and then put me in McRoberts, roberts whatever the the shoulder they they already decided there was a shoulder dystocia and nonetheless like i wasn't to, even out well and then his head was out like they decided before that i think and then i was on the bed on hands and knees and birthed his head and i'm pushing too like i'm having spontaneous pushing but i'm also bearing down because there was so much fear in the room and they took heart tones one more time after his head was out and couldn't find heart tones which is like what they said, like, we've lost heart tones, put an oxygen mask on me.
1: It's like they just watched a Grey's Anatomy or something.
2: Yeah, totally. (sighs) And like, again, his head is out. Like, I am so close. I I was so close and maybe pushed for like two or three times. And I didn't feel like he was moving. But at the same time, like he, my sense was that it was totally fine. And that was so confusing to track, like the urgency and the fear in the room. And mm-hmm. then me being like, but there's actually nothing wrong. Like this is intense, but it's okay. And then the next thing I knew I was flipped on my back and, and two hands are in me rotating and pulling him out of my body. Whoa. And I will never forget that moment of just like, it felt like there was a part of me that was like pulled out with that, like this like degree of um like yeah it was so shattering on so many levels and I just remember like looking at my baby and and there and just being in shock just like total shock and like if you when I've watched back the video it's like my face is completely white I'm not in my body at all um so even though he was like placed on my chest right away and like he was right there I I could not arrive enough to fully meet him. Um and it was just this, it was so bizarre and so confusing on this deep, deep level. And it and was- again, like he had eight, 10, 10 cars. Like he was fine. If he had really been in distress he would have not been vibrant and immediately breathing and like red and yeah. fine.
1: I mean an ap cars are just Yeah, they gave them it doesn't mean anything but the totally non still
2: like to to reflect that like even they're not seeing like a baby that was in distress they're seeing a baby that was fine
1: no they they prevented they prevented what you know some some magical horrific thing that was obviously not happening but just to be clear this was the non-lead midwife who Mm -hmm. violated you like that yeah
2: the non-lead midwife. And again, like I had been working so hard for 12 hours, like so hard. And, and so to have it shift in like the last 60 seconds of this process was heartbreaking. And my placenta came pretty quickly. I did lose some blood, but like, of course, I <laughs> like bled more than I might've otherwise. And my tailbone was fractured and there was some gnarly tearing that I didn't find out about until later it was like internal um externally things were pretty fine and I just remember the next few days being just still so out of my body and so in shock and not even be able to like sit up in bed like every part of me was just so broken by the experience and and then so then there was this whole other layer of he wouldn't nurse he would not latch like he latched once 10 minutes after birth and then that that was it for like another month like I would bring him to breast and he would not go towards he would arch away and get so distressed and so it felt like it was so primarily activating on so many levels. And then also really reinforced this concept I was already creating, which is like, I failed him. I failed him. I can't even nurse him. Like what is happening? Just panic the whole situation.
1: Did you have, or let me say it this way, how early in your postpartum did you connect those dots? And and did you locate, like, was it immediate that that was a violation and shouldn't have happened, or did that take a while to locate that piece?
2: Yeah. Both and I think. Um I really for like a couple weeks I held on to the story that I was one of the few cases where that would be necessary. Did you think you had shoulder dystocia? For a couple weeks, yeah. Okay. Because they did (laughs) you that yeah, yeah. And they said, that was one of the worst ones we've ever seen. And that that secondary midwife says, I just see all the shoulder dystocias. Ew. And it was okay. later at those pre- those like postpartum visits where I started to be like, oh, you do. You see all the shoulder dystocias. Interesting.
1: Ding, 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 ding. Interesting. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, I wonder. Wait, so that w- that. you have a video of him being born, right? I do, yeah. So you can literally see
2: that he didn't have it. Yeah, I mean- like he was fine. I mean, I mean, I've also like been to enough births since then to know like that amount of time. I see that all the time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so I think if there, if and it's so frustrating because if there had just been someone that was like right there in front of me and like, this is fine. You can do this. Everything is okay. It would have been okay. It would have been as simple as that even if he was like stuck or like whatever, that's all it would have taken, truly. (laughs) Um, So, you know, there was just so many layers and it was very clear that his refusal to nurse was like a reaction to his birth. What he kept trying to do was arch back and complete his ejection reflex, like again and again and again. And even though we tried to support him in completing that, it just wasn't clicking. So he... We were like spoon feeding him milk that a friend of mine brought over. I'm hand expressing, trying to get colostrum out. Um, he, we had lactation consultants over. I mean, it was such a nightmare. We pretty quickly got his tongue tie revised. Like I literally left my house on day four instead of my 40 days that I had been planning on, Yeah, um, which was horrible. And then the next month was the only way we could feed him was a tube taped to our finger with like a syringe on the end. Like he wasn't at the breast at all. And it was all I did for the first six months of his life was try to get him to nurse. Literally day in, day out, I'm like seeing energy healers. I'm seeing shamans, I'm doing tapping. I'm seeing every IBCLC, every body worker, every anyone, whatever I could do with this. Like how the hell do I get my baby to nurse? Oh my god. Um and it was worse than the birth. 100% worse than the birth. Yeah. Because it was like this ongoing like the trauma was for so long. And this is on top of I have a newborn baby who's traumatized and whose neuro- whose nervous system is totally fried. I'm also pumping 10 to 12 times a day. And like having to hustle for donor milk and oh it was so 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 intense. And I ended up pumping for the first year of his life. So he, because after about six or seven months, I realized like, this isn't going to happen. Like he's not going to get back to breast. There was like brief periods of time where he'd latch for a little bit or left in certain situations, but um, it was so painful. Every time I would feed him, it was just like the reminder of like what we weren't having. And I could feel the gap between, like I had such knowingness about, Wow, what was supposed to happen and I really think that a part of me thought that he died like truly as I've as I've gone back in later containers to work on the birth trauma like that is what comes up is like some part of my primal body thought he was dead but then there's a baby here so like how do you reconcile those two things it was such
1: a such an interesting like you you are already an exceptionally self-aware connected uh you know intuitive person and so it's like you were able to hold a very honest Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know internal check of what was happening like even naming that piece around feeling like he died because where my head goes with that is like well that must be happening to every
2: mother 100 percent or so
1: their children And, but, you know, as we know, the vast majority of women are traumatized in birth and on drugs, which you were not, but Mm -hmm. on drugs, traumatized baby, therefore is on drugs, you know, formulas pushed right away. Um, And then they have to survive, right. And they have to go back to work and they have to deal with other kids and, you know, just the life of, of mothers and Mm -hmm. yeah, that there's really very little. Insightfulness, you know, really around that piece. There's certainly no space in like the mainstream to talk about the spiritual, um, like rupture of of not of not nursing, and and of course, like when a system for the vast majority of women, they're being put into formula. You know, literally, like mm-hmm. for lower income moms, they go to WIC or whatever, and they're hand right. formula. You know, and that's just what's assumed of of many, many, many women anyway yeah that's very insightful and painful I think
2: holding on to I think we do women such a disservice to say like any way you feed your baby is is okay and normal and blah 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 and like yeah yeah, of course we need to feed our children but we fail mothers to say that this doesn't matter because it matters so much like on so many levels and I'm just preaching to the choir I know but it felt really important to me to hold on to this isn't optimal Mm -hmm. this is harming him and I need to hang on to that because I have to be extra attuned and extra show up in all of these other ways so that we can repair in any way that is possible Uh because if I just say this is okay then I'm like completely missing his experience I'm actually not there and present with him um And it was such an underworld experience. Oh my God. And I think there was this layer of what I took from it, which is every time my baby cries, I can't give him what he needs because what he's asking for is what's not possible. He's asking for the comfort of the breast and I can't give that to him. And like, it it just broke me in so many ways and it's taken so long to re. Heal that and come back to like I did the best I could, and I was there with him even in the messiness of it. But I think I really reflect on it on like how our culture perceives postpartum depression and blah 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 blah, and it's just such a mess. God, and imagine like of course I felt like I was going to die because well you were my body thought my baby I was dying yeah Yeah.
1: and imagine like I'm thinking of the surgical births. you know, like to not have birthed, yeah. what the fuck, to like have that, yeah, what that must feel like, if you really, like you were willing mm-hmm. to do, get really, 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 really quiet with it, and really honest with it, and obviously, I'm not saying anything shamey at all, just like feeling for
2: Well, the physiological practice did not complete. So there is this incomplete layer in the nervous system. And I think that that's like the place where the completion process is actually integral for the full initiation. But in the absence of,
1: yeah, that completion, like you said, I mean, it's not, it's not a sentence. It's not like things have to be ruined. There's so much repair that can happen, of course. But whatever happened is a absence of the, yeah, like you said, the physiological mm-hmm. completion sequence mm-hmm. of so people and how so we painful. formalize that. And obviously not with you, but like, then, you know, we have generations of women going through surgery, being handed their baby and then putting not nursing, baby, right. Not nursing. And then putting a baby
2: in another room. Yeah. And so, this is where I was very clear that what was happening was also this massive ancestral healing process because not only was the same point in his birth where my own entrance into the world was disrupted but I also had and my mother also had and my grandmother also had these disruptions in nursing process Mm -hmm. and so like there's all these other layers I'm working with too but and I think I would have been able to hold those differently if we had had like any postpartum support but it was like that was not there wasn't, we had, there was nothing. There was no one. I'm pumping a million times a day. It was really intense and suffering. Yeah, totally just suffering. And I also think the medicine of it was breaking down this idea of kind of like the performance of mother like of what are, like what it means to be a good mother and getting like really in the nitty gritty of presence of like, and I'm still here and I'm still going to show up. And this is going to be like like my year of devotion to my child that I'm going to be like here, I'm not moving away from this. Mm. And and I didn't. And like, it felt like such a huge accomplishment to just be like, and I'm giving you my milk for a year. And like, this is what I'm offering. I don't, sometimes I wonder, it would have been way less stressful for me to offer another type of feeding, but this is what felt right. So Anyway, the next year and a half after that was just a lot of healing, of a lot of just like, how do I integrate this into my world? Um, And I'm lucky to have access to a lot of really potent healing containers. And one of them, during a plant medicine ceremony about a year and a half after my son was born, um, on the summer solstice, I had my daughter come to me and, (laughs) and introduce herself again and just kind of check in. Um, and then my son was, how old would he have been? Like a little over two and a half, like almost a year exactly ago. We, there was really severe wildfires in Oregon. And so we evacuated from the cabin we were living in and went to Colorado to a friend's ranch where they happened to be hosting uh, a retreat. And so we got to kind of inadvertently participate in the retreat. And, um, and one of the ceremonies that was there was this ancestral healing ceremony where we were basically invited to, to release an ancestral agreement with spirit, universe, great mother, whatever language you want to use and and make a new one, like really consciously using the ceremony to shift a pattern in your lineage. And so what came up for me was the pattern of scarcity, which is what I would felt like I'd been in since Alder's birth of like, I'm not enough. I don't have what to offer him. There's just not enough at all in any of this. Um, And that felt like what I was shifting. And it was like the moment I did that, I felt this baby with us. Um, And the whole trip we were there, my husband just kept talking. Everyone was like, we're going to have a new baby. We're going to have another baby soon. Yeah, Alder needs a sibling. Like We're going to have another baby. And it was the first time he'd really fully gotten there. And are so like, like I'm gonna name her abundance <laughs> exactly <laughs> and so I guess that's like the prologue to that is like he just kept, every person we meet at this retreat like yeah we're gonna have another baby and that's it was so cute. cute she was just so there with us that whole adventure um and so I went to the ceremony and like had that experience and then and then we had like the most amazing love making of our entire lives and she was just like there and came into my womb and I knew immediately um And it was just so amazing to more consciously conceive to to be Mm -hmm. saying yes on every level of my being to the experience that was happening. And we went back home and I kind of talked myself out of being pregnant. I was like, there's just no way that cycle, that was like day 16. And for the prior 18 months, I'd ovulated on day 10 of my cycle. So I just thought there's no way, but it felt like that's what happened. And I had a dream one night that, where I was like shown a calendar date of the day we conceived and then shown when she would arrive and she introduced herself to me. (laughs) It was crazy. crazy. It was totally wild. It literally like zoomed in on a calendar. Um, (laughs) It was so wild. It was totally wild. And probably six months prior I'd had two, a spirit baby medium and an astrologer a week apart, tell me I was going to have twin girls for my next baby so I woke up from this dream and I went downstairs and I cracked an egg in the pan I was going to make breakfast and like tell my husband we're pregnant and there's a double yolk. <laughs> and then I crack another egg and there's a double yolk. and I was like oh okay so there's like all these signs of it's twins Whoa. for sure we went outside to eat breakfast and there's like two hawks circling us and it was kind of wild <laughs> and so then two weeks after that dream I had what I'd later come to understand was implantation bleeding or two weeks after conception, I guess it would have been. Um, but I thought for sure I'm losing this baby and had to really dive into that. And, and then maybe a month later, had more bleeding after I realized, okay, this baby's sticking around. And I'm actually really grateful to have had those experiences in the first trimester. I feel like I got to process a lot of my fear around birth and I got to just get more comfortable with being the portal between life and death. Like I kind of had to confront it so early on that it made the rest of the pregnancy way easier.
1: Because
2: uh-huh. there was just like, all right, we're sitting in the void and that's cool. And we just have to be comfy here. It is what it is. It is what it is. I was so sick the first trimester. That was really different from my pregnancy with my son. I basically just like suffered for three months, but it was fine. I didn't feel resistance to it. Really? I was just like, okay, I'm going to be miserable. And that's fine. It's going to be cleansed through this process. And knew I wanted a fully wild pregnancy. was really, really lucky that there's a circle of seven families in my community, and the dads meet every Monday night and have for almost two years now. And the moms meet every single Tuesday night. And yeah. then Wednesdays, a couple times a month, we were having family dinners. And so, That kind of became almost like my village prenatal every week of just like the witnessing by my community every single week was so special and really filled in a lot of the community care aspects that I think we want for midwives. Mm -hmm. And then I was also really blessed to support several other women walking through their wild pregnancies and sovereign birds. And that was really aligned with what I want to be doing and offering in the world and was so special to see these families grow from three to four because there were a couple of second time mamas in there and those just affirm my trust of birth in such a profound way and let's
1: see so was it when by the time you're pregnant it's like
2: obvious that you're free birthing or yeah like oh yeah I I decided like Maybe a couple months after my son was born. Like, I'm never doing this a different way. <laughs> like, I really was clear.
1: Did you ever clear this with the medwives?
2: No, I didn't. I think I was so raw that first year. Oh, God, of course. You know, I just, like, couldn't envision having that conversation. and And I thought a lot about it. During my pregnancy with my daughter. Like, does that a conversation I want to have?
1: We'll just sit in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. And again, it was so heartbreaking because like I felt so much of her care and love for us. And and it was, I always wonder like, what would have been like if the other midwife hadn't been there? Like the midwife I actually had a relationship with, what would she have seen and done? And what would have that been like? Mm-hmm. But Yeah. Yeah and I really loved having a wild pregnancy. Like it was just so useful and such an organic unfolding of the process and was also some deep work. (laughs) It's like, but this is the work that you have. Like, I felt like this is why my soul's here. I can't get out of this. I can't get out of sitting in the space of unknown of like exploring my relationship to safety in my body. All of these different things. This is, this is, this is just like, what is, Crux of being human in this world, Mm -hmm. and we get to bypass that if we don't, (laughs) you know. And and going into the system, you get to bypass that
1: on some level. But I feel like, yeah, the cost of that bypassing,
2: you
1: know, the spirit. I don't
2: say bypass as a good thing.
1: Yeah, 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 of course, of course. And I think you know, once you go so deep as you have in this bypassing, like you can't even really do it
2: anymore. No, you can't. (laughs) Totally. So the end of my pregnancy was really intense because we had to move about six weeks before. Right. I would have been, yeah, 34 weeks I had to move. And it was wild and it was really intense to find the right home. But it was, it was kind of this wild portal of, do I trust?
1: Uh Do I trust?
2: Do I trust myself to like meet this? Do I trust spirit to hold me? what is my relationship here and really paved the way for birth because I had to be in that in such an intense way and was really trying to use that as an opportunity to play with that and practice that but it was so primarily confusing to be packing up my things at the end of pregnancy and and it worked out and we found the right house and I attended a birth (laughs) the same day we moved like it just all of it was so wild and somehow worked out perfectly so we were only in our house for a month um, before my daughter was born because she came at 38 weeks, 36 past conception. Um, And I really thought I had many more weeks to go, but had been having prodromal labor at night and just was like, this could last for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months. That's so common for second time mothers. And I really thought like, that's just going to last for weeks and I'm going to be 45 weeks pregnant and just have to really... <laughs> Convince myself I also wanted that time because we had just moved and so I was like integrating that and mm-hmm. didn't feel unpacked and so the kind of the joke that I kept making was like once we get a couch in our living room I'm gonna have this baby like it's gonna happen just as soon as we get this couch and like could not find the right couch and so when Naidas just woke up and I went to go get all the food I was going to prep for my postpartum I visited my friend Anna, who also had free birth her baby like a week before at this point, um, went home and like things were kind of feeling different. i thought, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna buy this one couch. Like, I don't love it, but it's just, it's just gonna happen. And that night, another woman from the membership and her husband were going to park their camper in our driveway before they went to a, a ceremony and so they arrived and we pulled up with our u-haul with our new couch and like helped us bring the couch in I put my son to bed and then sat on the couch and immediately started having sensations <laughs> like literally after 40 minutes after the couch came into my living room like it, it, things <laughs> began <laughs> and um it was pretty funny And at the beginning, like, I just, there was like maybe one sensation an hour and I can feel my resistance to it. Like it's too early, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I did an EFT tap to just like help me ground in and release some of that resistance. And yeah, I kind of just as a form of prayer of like, this is going to shift. I'm, I'm claiming this, this is mine. This is for me too. Like, this is what we're doing here and went to bed and kind of got to have some of that early labor I didn't have. Mm-hmm. I'm just like these dreamy, like there's a sensation once an hour. I'm just kind of like drifting in and out and kind of descending in and then woke up at 4.30 with things just like zero to sixty, like so in it, so full on. My husband tried to set up our bathtub and discovered we didn't have the right size adapter for. Oh like, the, no, I was like, whatever, whatever, it's fine. Just fill the bathtub, and we a friend was going to come stay with my son, just like play with him and help him make breakfast and stuff. So we called her, and she was going to stop at Home Depot, and it opened at six a.m. to to get us that adapter so I could be in the cool. Cause I'm thinking I have like hours and hours to go and I get in the tab and I have maybe like three or four sensations in there. And then there was this like ripple in, in time space continuum where I felt like the circle of ancestors around me. And I felt oh, yeah. it was, it was like very similar to that first vision with my son where I could like feel the circle and I'm at the center of my circle um, and I could feel them there with me. And other than that moment, this birth was just total presence, like just deep, deep presence. Um, and then right after that happened, like I started pushing and I was in total shock because at this point I've been in like more intense labor for like what, like 40 minutes 40 Minutes, yeah. Oh my gosh. And so I turned to my husband and I was like, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, it's happening. And he thought I was kidding. He's like, there's no way um and then the next sensation and they were still pretty far apart at this point I don't really know how far but it never felt rushed even at the end um and then the next sensation my waters released which was like almost an orgasmic feeling and the next sensation the first part of her head was born Mm -hmm. and then and then her her whole head was born and just In an antidote to what happened in my first birth, I wanted her emergence to be so slow, like so unrushed, just like so spacious. And it really, really was that. Like the sensations almost felt pleasurable. Like it was just slow and sweet. There was total safety. It was just my husband and son and I in in our bathroom with like early morning sunlight coming in. And I just remember this moment of her head being born and she was sunny side up. And I'm looking down and seeing her face, looking back up at me. And it was such magic. And again, in contrast to my first birth, like my mantra was like, I can do this. I am safe. I can do this. I am safe. And I just like kept saying that over and over again, and really believed it and was able to, to just not resist any of what was happening. And then she, she was born. And even that moment was so slow of like, she was underwater and I didn't just bring her up right away, just like taking that really slowly and brought her to my chest. And she took a second to come around, but she did sing a beautiful little birth song. <laughs> and I think that was the first thing I said to you. like, that's a beautiful song you're singing. Cause it just sounded like she was singing as she cried. Oh, God. And those moments were the most holy, just like I did it. I'm here, I could feel the cycle complete in my body on like the most profound, deep level. Wow. Of not just, yeah, just like I did it and I'm here and and all is well. And everything felt so whole in my world. Wow. And then it was her. It was this daughter. It it was this 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 girl that I've been waiting to meet Earthside for decades now. And she was and she was here with us and. And my son just kept saying, I love this baby. Everybody's going to just love this baby. Like He was so sweet and so excited. Wow. It was a really dry birth, barely any bleeding. I got out of the tub pretty quickly because I was so uncomfortable. And I was just like on my knees, like not even hands and knees in this little tiny bathtub. Um, and placenta was born maybe like 15 minutes after the birth. I don't know. Quickly. I walked into my bedroom. My friend came in who was going to be hanging out with my son. She like missed the whole birth, which was perfect. And then squatted down. And like the birth of my placenta was truly orgasmic. Like it was the best feeling ever. Yeah. <laughs> and got in bed and, and she latched right away and, and we nursed. And ah! that in and of itself was like the magic.
1: Oh my God. Yeah.
2: She just latched and amazing
1: wow
2: yeah
1: I love that that you could feel the cycle completion that's Mm -hmm. so interesting Mm -hmm. wow
2: yeah it felt like like a new reality I entered into truly totally um And like my nervous system has never been so calm as it was those first few days after birth. It was just complete safety, complete anchoredness in what was happening. Wow. And then things started to kind of slide with her nursing. So that's been a whole other portal and journey. And that nursing her was wonderful and also extremely painful like my nipples were cracked and bleeding and oh shit it was so painful and we had an IBCLC lactation consultant that we had worked with with Alder that I really trusted so she was a wonderful resource for us and like I this time was different because I had like body workers that could come over and be with her and lactation support that I trusted and we had so much support from our my circle of sisters like they've just been that's been so much of the medicine of this postpartum is feeling so held and so cared for, even amidst so much intensity. Um, been so reparative for me. I'm so grateful for them. I mean,
1: it's it makes all the difference. Like it makes all challenges
2: are gonna happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Shit's gonna go down, people are gonna die, babies are gonna struggle with nursing, like all the stuff of life is going to happen, but in a container of connected women, what can't we hold? What yeah you know? Yeah. And to be like out in the underworld on your own, like so mm-hmm. many women are, oh, yeah. It's so bad. So
2: That's bad. bad. What are, I mean,
1: so many parts of the story is just like total reclamation of, of rewriting, mm-hmm. rewriting yeah. the story, not just for you, but like the women before you, it sounds like.
2: Yeah. So much ancestral healing. And I feel like Suresha just pushes us again and again to like out of that scarcity into the abundance space of there is enough and everything can be well. And that's the whole journey of this birth and pregnancy and postpartum. And then I think the other layer is like I was able to also heal my own infant imprint of birth being disrupted and then not nursing. Like just even that cycle of completion was a huge wow. part of this, of that primal part of me knowing all was well. Um, and it made the nursing pieces easier to navigate. It was really overwhelming those first few weeks. She like, wasn't pooping. She wasn't like, she clearly wasn't transferring. Like Ooh. she was distressed. She was not transferring. So yeah. we rev- revised her tie. We did all the things. Um, I ended up pumping several times a day to basically create an oversupply for myself. So that was healing because I never had enough milk with Alder. And now I have so much milk. It's wonderful, but it's an own, it's own host of problems. Um, and what we later kind of have pieced together with Saoirse is she has something on the spectrum of a cleft palate. So like the way that her palate is formed is not typical. There's Hmm. like a whole chunk missing out of it.
1: What? I didn't know this. Yeah. So, is there something to do
2: about it? So, kind of what we are doing. So, we got eventually all of our ties revised, lots of body work. We're trying to bring the palate down because her tongue can elevate, but it's her palate is so high, it's still not getting up there enough. Huh. And so, right now, the way we've been nursing for the past four months is with a nipple shield because it can get up in yeah, there. Totally. Um, and then I supplement at the breast with an SNS any milk she needs because she's just not able to transfer still. Um, it's getting better. It's getting a lot better, but we still have to supplement with my milk back to her. Um, and it was really intense the first few weeks when I thought I was just like waiting for everything to fall apart. I was like, I can't not nurse another baby. Like that's just not on the table. Ah, Like I cannot. Um, and so after I was kind of able to get over that hump and be like, okay, it might look, it's not going to be physiologically breastfeeding for this period of time. We will get there. We're in the process of getting there. We're doing everything we can. I'm not in control of all of this. And I just like, but we're going to be nursing. She's going to be hundred percent at the breast. And so she is, um, and it's just kind of baby steps. And she came, you know, 36 weeks after conception and really felt like a preemie. Like she did not feel here even at all until about three months old. She was really sleepy. She's very petite. She's very tiny. Um, She just has her own process and progression. And so it's just been a trust and surrender of that. But it feels really different to know, to have a baby that wants to be at the breast and, and to be like, I have what she needs. I can give her what she needs. I can give my children what they need. That's what I get to anchor back into.
1: Well, I mean, I mean, even yeah, like you, you are, you are now. For so many reasons, so many yeah, community, the work, all of it. You are a resourced mother, mm-hmm. in a way that with your first, by no fault of yours or anything, just it being your first and it being such a new landscape and being so under supported and the birth trauma, like all of it, you just weren't resourced in it. That's what I'm hearing. Like, and so what can't you handle from that internally and externally resourced space? Mm -hmm. Just like even when you're talking about it, it's like feel so much more calm and manageable not that it's Mm -hmm. not without its pain or grief or disappointment and all of that I'm sure it is and and you know complicated when to do what you know the strategies involved all (laughs) of that for sure it's super heady Um, and new terrain again in a different way but it you just sound like so much of this story is like learning how to generate your own resources or like yeah Mm -hmm. just get resourced for whatever life is gonna
2: Mm -hmm. bring at you totally and so much of that is is the sisterhood of like all of the incredible women I'm connected to here the the birth keepers collective we've been cultivating this other circle of women like I was hosting wild mothering circles for a while there and all the women from there just like the web we've weaved Mm -hmm. and the ways we've learned to show up for one another um Uh, but yeah like when I got mastitis four times in a month like I would just send out a text, and there'd be someone there to clean my bathroom, and someone there to bring me food, and like wow. some like there was immediate holding. Good. Um, and so yeah, even though I was doing insane things to like feed my child and then to navigate an, an older child who was grieving so much, hmm. like that was an uneaseful process for him. But it's getting a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> that <wasn't> a, the, <laughs> <it> was <laughs> an uneaseful <laughs> process. That's a no. funny no, I was not. No, I mean, I think some kids, some older kids, like I just, yeah, I mean, that was not. Toddlers
1: are rough, though. Yeah. He was two and a half when she was born? Three and a half. Three and a half. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah.
2: You know, I think throughout my pregnancy with Shot, the one of the biggest stories I had to be with was like that this isn't for me too. That because of our birth experience, that because of these unhealed parts of me because of my ongoing journey to like really find safety in my body and in the world that somehow birth wasn't going to work for me. And I think what I really want to drive home is like, it does work. Like it really does. Like this is actually accessible for you too. Like this is not just for some people who live some beautiful Instagram life. Like this is designed to work. If we create the container, it will work. If we keep showing up for ourselves in the perfectly imperfect ways it it's gonna happen 9.9 times out of 10. And I think it can be so easy to lose that.
1: Yeah. Well and it can be so easy to say you're here for it and totally block it mm-hmm. and totally, totally cap it. And and mm-hmm. you know everything starts with willingness. And willingness can really or unwillingness can really hide in the like deep cobwebs of our of our unconscious, Mm -hmm. but we're not willing to have, fill in the blank, money, love, safety, whatever it is. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I'm really, really proud of you.
2: Thank you. I'm really grateful for the sisterhood and resources that you've helped connect me with and these stories.
1: And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on Freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on Freebirth Society Courses.com, including our flagship course, the Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise. And the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held,
0: the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my This sacred portal will be honoured Eons upon light beams of survival Withstanding the eradication of our power by design I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me My sisters will no longer birth in captivity The picket line redefined from burning our wild women To paralysing us and drugging our babes strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear, we choose love, everything with intention, death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the start. Conscious,